This week on The Undoing. We waste no time this episode with Jonathan point blank asking Grace why she was in the vicinity of Elena's apartment that fateful night. Grace gives her regular walking excuse, and when Jonathan probes further, things turn physical. The paparazzi intervene before Grace can throw Jonathan into the Hudson, and the next thing you know, we're in a conference room with Haley Fitzgerald. After explaining how they're using Facebook and Amazon algorithms to pander to the jury, Haley makes the Frasers hold hands to test the legitimacy of their connection. Haley declares she's not feeling it. The trial begins to much fanfare, and all our main characters are in attendance. The prosecutor begins by whipping out a sculpting hammer and demonstrating the repeated blows it took to kill Elena. Haley responds by pointing the finger at Fernando Alves. Back in Franklin's cavernous apartment, he's tickling the old ivories while Grace gets a call from Jonathan. They have a weird nostalgic chat which prompts Grace to aggressively walk to her apartment and get into bed with Jonathan. They make out. I hate it. When Grace gets home, Henry admits he saw Jonathan and Elena together while he was at school, which would have been nice to know before Grace decided to sad fuck Jonathan. Back in court, Detective Sexy takes a stand, and the prosecutor treats the court, including poor Miguel Alves, to some absolutely horrific pictures of Elena's bastion skull. Grace is one of the only people who doesn't look all that bothered by it. However, in Haley's Cross, she makes good on her promise to sling muck by suggesting Detective Sexy's only ever pursued Jonathan as a suspect, not Grace, who was caught on camera, nor Fernando, whose DNA was found at the scene. Henry has a meltdown at lunch about the Frasers remaining a family and reveals Grace's story about Jonathan's family dog. When Jonathan leaves the table to get air, Grace confronts him and Jonathan reveals he didn't kill the family dog, he actually killed his little sister. Casual. Though it legit doesn't sound like it was his fault, he clearly seems pretty traumatized by it. Back in court, Fernando takes a stand. Haley wastes no time laying into him, and by the time she's finished, she has Fernando triggered and in tears. Jonathan's grammar Nazi mother finally calls Grace back and confirms the story about Jonathan's sister Katie. However, she reveals Jonathan never suffered or apologized for his sister's death, but simply abandoned his family after he turned 18. When Grace calls Sylvia to unpack this latest twist, Sylvia rightfully diagnoses his behavior as sociopathy. A distressed Grace checks in on a sleeping Henry and starts picking up his room. When she finds his violin on the floor, she retrieves the case from his bedroom, only to discover the missing sculpting hammer is in it. And Big Little Podcast is back to talk about episode four of The Undoing, Trial by Fury. I'm Teresa, and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie. I'm Carolyn, and I'm a Madeline slash Renata. I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Jane slash Madeline. And today, the day that we're recording, happens to be Carolyn's birthday. So let's all say happy birthday, Carolyn. Happy birthday, Carolyn. Thanks. COVID birthdays. Quarantine life birthdays. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's, I mean, you get a sort of break by forcing us to uh, record an hour earlier than normal so you can have a fancy dinner later. So that's kind of uh, birthday-ish, right? It's something. Yeah, I think in the year of of this, uh, that's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I have um, a bottle of Vove waiting for me and some grilled swordfish oh, and cake. Oh. So, you know what? Like, I'm a happy girl. Fancy. Which, I mean, knowing your roommate, that cake is not just a cake. Yeah. It's a so, statement. 
I, um, I, my favorite cake in the world is Funfetti cake, like the boxed Funfetti cake. That would cake. be your favorite cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's so on brand, it's painful. <laughs> I'm glad I can uh, not disappoint there. But, um, yeah, so he made Funfetti cake from the box, but fancied it up. Wow. So, yeah. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. By, by fancy, d- do you mean it has like a unicorn face and, like <laughs> and all sorts of stuff, or is um, it just like no? A I don't know. I costume? actually haven't really seen it yet, so yeah. um, I know there's a lot of sprinkles involved. Uh, he did make a unicorn cake for me once, though, a couple years ago. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. So since most of this episode takes place in the courtroom, let's just get to it. Um, there are some things we learned. Most horrifically, that Alana's face is pretty much gone, and we got a disgusting picture of it. Multiple that... disgusting pictures. Mm-hmm. And, like, no one warned her. Did anyone warn her family so that this kid wouldn't be looking? Why um, is he in the courtroom? I don't know. Why is Henry in the courtroom? Yeah. No one goes to school around here. Yeah. It's crazy business. Also, and very then... inappropriate for small children to attend a murder trial. <laughs> what They're the little fuck? margarinos in the making. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so we also find out that Haley Fitzgerald knows a disturbing amount about the jurors and including like things like who's been cheated on, who is currently cheating, all sorts of weird things. Um, Grace and Jonathan have to be able to fake it or else his, his freedom hangs in the balance. Um, the lawyer fully plans on throwing everyone in, on the sun under this bus, right? She is just, like, throwing accusations at throwing everybody. Throwing the muck. And we find out that Fernando knew about the affair. Like, we find out a lot in this, um, in these courtroom episodes. So, so this episode, to me, was basically a Law & Order SVU oh, yes. episode. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it just really was. It, I, I just kept waiting for, like, you know, Chris Maloney and Mershka Haggerty to, like, walk in um, it just, it had that vibe in like how it was shot, how it was written, the way mm-hmm. that the, the, the performances, like it just, I mean, not, not to say that that wasn't good. Cause like, obviously like I will watch law and order SVU for like 12 hours at a time, mm-hmm. but, um, this definitely had that vibe. Well, so we also, so one of the things we get is like, um, detective sexy on the stand and saying the most amount of words I think he said in this <laughs> entire series so far. And we learn that the media is calling him detective squirmy. So he squirmy <laughs> worm, squirmy worm. <laughs> oh yes. The squirmy worm. Sorry. So what do you guys, what did you guys think of his, uh, his little performance on the stand? He was, um, I thought he was actually pretty good at like deflecting a lot of her accusations about not looking enough into other suspects. Yeah. He, uh, he, he for sure was doing his job to, to deflect, but it did make me question like how well he had done his job in looking at suspects. I I mm-hmm. saw I think she did a good job painting him as somebody who got blinders on for a certain suspect. Um but I thought he handled himself well on the stand and like didn't lose his cool or get mm-hmm. um you know get out of control and defensive. Um he stayed very like factual. He clearly is a good detective, somebody who's good at doing his job here, but 
it did make me think like, yeah, he probably, he got a little bit of a hard on for pinning Jonathan for this crime, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't have described him as a squirmy worm. I, no, I didn't think so either. It was odd. I would describe him as Detective Sexy, but not Detective <laughs> Squirmy Worm. Yeah, and I agree with what Haley was saying. I think that she's a very effective lawyer, I mean, in a horrific mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, she made good on her promise that she was just going to sling muck all over this case and make mm-hmm. it difficult to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he did this. And I do also think that their case is rather flimsy at the beginning of the episode without a murder weapon or out any sort of witness. Obviously, by the end, that's changed. And this is going to obviously give us our answer in episode six, because I'm sure there's going to be able to be some forensic evidence on the hammer or the hammer is going to elicit some sort of confession. But I didn't think he did a bad job at all. He seemed, you know, in full possession of the evidence. He seemed calm, cool and collected. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was an odd take for the news to have. So what did you guys think about Fernando? I mean, he has a bit of a breakdown on the stand and she, you know, Haley Fitzgerald is once again asking about Elena's mental health issues and we learn that she was being treated for something, though they don't specify what, which I feel like they're never really going to and it's just going to be annoying. But how did you how did you feel about his performance on the stand? It was the opposite of Detective Sexy. I mean, he fell apart and got very emotional and defensive and accusatory and, uh, you know, which obviously, um, you know, when you're testifying in court like that, you don't, you, you, they're, they're, you kind of want that like devoid of emotion. Mm -hmm. Uh, like he just, he was a wreck to me. Um, but it also made me, it really convinced me that I really don't think he did it because of how, uh, how emotional he was. Well, we also found out that he knew about, he admitted to knowing about the affair, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, that didn't really surprise me. And I guess it was because of that scene in the first episode mm-hmm. where the two of them were sitting in bed and they looked very distant and distressed. And it was a very, very yeah. quick shot. But I remember uh-huh. we talked about like, well, there's must be some tension in their marriage. So that didn't necessarily surprise me that he knew. And his familiarity with Jonathan. Like when Jonathan in the previous episode went to visit him in his apartment, that was clearly not the first time they'd met. Mm-hmm. And obviously he was their doctor, but it seemed like they'd had some sort of, you know, run-in beyond that. Right, right. So there's also we also find out that there's just DNA all over the place. And one of the things I found myself wondering was... There was, and I wish I remembered now exactly what it was, but there was something that made me wonder if it could just be like male Fraser DNA, right? right. And not yep. specifically Jonathan DNA. Yep, I thought the same thing. There's enough alleles in common that it could, because uh-huh. when they immediately started talking about DNA, I'm thinking like, okay, well this is ruling out Grace, this is mm-hmm. ruling out Franklin. This is ruling out Sylvia if they really were as thorough with the DNA. Now, you could Mm -hmm. make an argument that Franklin is a mobster and knows to wear gloves and blah, 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 blah. But the pictures of this woman's skull bastion, if you do that sort of damage to somebody, like your DNA is everywhere. It's just very impossible. Your hair is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense that if they were just looking for DNA that was similar maybe henry's dna is similar enough to jonathan's that that could be a mistake that was made 
But I thought that the, the fact that this is the first we're hearing of DNA, and we talked about this a few episodes ago, like how did they narrow in on Jonathan, and we said it must be DNA evidence, and they talked, you know, for the first time about semen being found in Elena mm-hmm. that matched Jonathan. But, you know, this is another episode where we're getting it from a character's perspective, and we're meant to think it's Henry from the first opening shot of him sitting on the steps watching the news coverage, and the principal asks Henry how he's doing, and he gives the mm-hmm. principal kind of this ominous smile Mm -hmm. that it was setting us up to believe it's Henry and obviously by the end we're meant to think it's Henry but I kept thinking the damage done to this woman's face could a child do that a small child I don't think so Alex and I so we were sitting there watching this and going through quite the journey and we're like oh my god the kid fucking did it and then we're like wait maybe he didn't and then Alex pointed out that you know, they they show that scene of her saying, like, please no, yeah. like, begging the killer not to hit her, the mm-hmm. like, before the first blow is delivered. And Alex is like, nobody would say that to a child who's about to hit them. You could also they just, would just yeet the child out of the yeah, way. Yeah, they would like, just yank the child away. And he'd go flying. So um, I do agree with that. And then, so in processing all this today and thinking about it, I was like, what if it was the, what if the father and son did it together. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm trying to just, I have like wild theories abounding, but uh, this episode really, really heavily framed Henry. Well, that's interesting that you're saying the father, you meaning like daddy Donald? No, like Jonathan. Oh, well, I was thinking because later on, you know, Henry has this breakdown. He's like, maybe if I'd told you this never right. would have happened, yada, yada. What What if he told grandpa? Right. Oh. Yeah, I thought the same thing, that that conversation, like, who yeah. else does he have in his life to talk to? Mm-hmm. And he, they, we've had these scenes with Franklin and, and uh, Henry alone that's, I think, doing nothing other than establishing that they do have a bond and they do have trust. Mm-hmm. And it also seemed like maybe Franklin, like, planted it. You know, that Henry's face when Grace confronted him at the end with the hammer, like, was more surprised than, oh, shit, I've been caught. Oh, no, Mm -hmm. I thought he looked nuts. Yeah, Yeah, he looked crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I felt like... His behavior was was unhinged this whole episode. Like, the the scene at lunch, I was like, dog, you need some therapy. Also, just on that note, like, is Grace still a therapist? Have we forgotten about this? Because it seems like everybody else is doing the therapy diagnosing, and Grace is just kind of like, huh? Yeah, she doesn't know that everyone around her is a, like, psychopath. Sociopath? Yeah, like, it just seems very odd to me that she is just kind of, like, that's not been referenced again. That in your well, pro- I, I felt like that scene with Sylvia was just, like, one of the most annoying, unnecessary scenes I've ever seen, where they were like, just in case you didn't get it from what his mother right. said, uh-huh. we're going to have Sylvia and Grace talk about this so that you understand. I'm going to be really annoyed if Sylvia doesn't have a bigger part to play in this, and her mm-hmm. role is literally just, like, exposition friend. Mm-hmm. I think she is. I'm sorry to tell you. But um, they do, I mean, I guess uh, the father, Franklin, he definitely says he alludes to Grace's career as a therapist and says like, what is your diagnosis when they're trying to decide, um, you know, what level of sociopath Jonathan must be to have lied about, you know, his sister's death and called it a dog. Mm -hmm. Um, I just mean more like she doesn't seem to be coming from a place of 
instinct or knowledge as a therapist. Well, no, she's completely unhinged at this point, which I I, I mean, she's walking around in her pajamas in the middle of the night in New York City, like. Right. Like, she just was recently released from a hospital herself. Like I was half expecting her to, like, do the, the nude trench coat thing when she went to Jonathan's apartment. I was, like, oh my waiting God. for that. I was like, God, this is cringe. Oh, God. Yeah. She, uh, this episode, I felt like she was even more disconnected. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's that part where, you know, Henry brings back up this thing she said to him, the, like, if we survive this far, we can survive anything. And she's like, I said that? And yeah. it's like, is this just her stressed out, not remember it, being like, oh, I can't believe I would say that. This, you know, I don't want anything to do with this guy anymore. Or is this more of Grace not remembering, not knowing what's going on? Like, what is what's right. going on with her? Yeah, I... I would like to think this is going to be revealed as some sort of personality disorder where she is blacking out for periods of time and she truly doesn't remember saying things or doing certain things. Mm -hmm. It would make a lot of sense, especially given these sketchy late night walks. But I'm getting nervous that that's not how this is going to go. And she is. I am getting nervous. Yeah, I am getting nervous for this final episode. Uh, There's a lot. There's a lot that needs to happen. And there are a lot of ways that this could just go wrong and be a huge disappointment. And ruin the rest of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm looking forward. Alex and I will be doing um, Instagram live watching it for everyone's viewing pleasure. Um, And we will, my guess is, is that we will just be yelling at the TV. (laughs) (laughs) If you you want my honest prediction. Um, I mean... I think that the chances are very high with that because we learned that there's not, like, in the book, they never even make it to a courtroom. So we're completely off script and who knows how far off script at this point. And we know that when these kinds of TV shows try to, like, add a twist for the viewing audience that has already read the book, things go poorly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean... Look, I've enjoyed the journey with this show. Like, Detective Sexy is a real treat, and I'd like to see him a lot more. A snack, if you um, will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is, like, beyond a snack. He is a treat. A whole damn meal. He's, like, funfetti cake. Yeah. A funfetti cake. Yeah. He's a funfetti cake. Um, and, you know, I, I also, I, I really would like Hugh Grant's performance in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Nicole Kidman is, you know... She's, she's, she's there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he, I was thinking during the trial, I was thinking he's giving good Clinton face. You know, he's giving very good, like, Mm -hmm. Bill Clinton, like, oh, I'm a bad man. Depends what the meaning of is, is. Yep. Yes. But, like, I'm a bad man, but I'm not bad in that way. And I thought, like, he's, he's really doing a good job of convincing the jury that he's not a murderous monster. He's just, like, a philandering monster. Yep. But Grace's face is just, like, resting bitch face to the max. Like, she just did not get the message at all from Haley, which is, like, are you doing this on purpose? Like, you can't possibly look this... No, you know what the thing is, is she can't possibly move her face enough for this level of acting. <laughs> I was I so thinking about that. sorry to say really it. really frozen. But her, yeah, her collagen, Botox, Juvederm, whatever combination and, you know, what other crazy surgical options she may have turned to has actually inhibited her ability to 
deliver a performance facially. Mm-hmm. Like, well, there was one scene in this episode where, like, her face was such a bizarre response. It looked like she was trying to wrinkle her forehead and move her eye, and it did not go well. <laughs> um, this so, is reminding uh, me of when I met Miss Patty from the Gilmore Girls, and she told me that she was called back for an audition recently based solely on the fact that she was the only actress who could still move her face stop no yeah (laughs) she was just like everyone else's face is so frozen especially at her age that like she's the only one who can still like oh my god yeah it's true i mean this is there is a distinct difference in how nicole kidman's face looks from i mean from uh like big little eyes just Mm -hmm. a couple years ago to this um, it's definitely a little bit, a little bit tighter. <laughs> well, I feel like um, that happens a lot with Nicole Kidman in general, because whenever I see her on a red carpet and one, she's blonde, but two, mm. she seems to have been recently injected with all manner of things. I am like, oh, she's never coming back from this. She now has plastic <laughs> face forever. And then you see her in big little eyes and she actually looks really great. And then this happens and you're just like, you're looking very jokery and I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. So I think that that for me is really changing the way her performance, she is not at peak Nicole Kidman here. Mm -hmm. Um, and the actor who plays this little boy, her son, Henry, Noah Jupe, he's a Brit who knew. Yeah. He, I, I kind of sensed there are some words that he says that I sort of, uh, picked up on. They should like, have just ever made so them slight. all British. I know. I was thinking that, too. I was like, it wouldn't have impacted the story at all if they were no. all British. And I think no. that Donald Sutherland is probably the most accomplished actor amongst them. Like, he could have probably mm-hmm. pulled off an accent better than poor Nicole Kidman, who drifts into an Australian accent seemingly every other word. Every and... time she gets mildly angry. Yep. Yeah. She, yep. Yeah. It does. Um, but he, that little boy playing Henry, I this this episode especially... I I think he really is turning in a great performance for a young actor. Yeah. Um, And and he's doing a great job at being, like, creepy. Mm -hmm. And he's built the character well. Because in some of the earlier episodes, like, we just kind of picked up on, wow, this kid has a lot of, like, he was soothing his mother and, like, talking with common sense. And and then it kind of became, like, all of a sudden, every time she turned around, he was there. And he was, like, lurking behind corners. And his facial expressions. And that face he made when he opens his eyes and sees her with the hammer was perfect. Um, apparently, he is the young actor who was in um, one of my least favorite movies ever, A Quiet Place. Um, <laughs> oh. Was he? I, I yes. don't remember that, that at all, but I actually quite liked that movie. Yeah, and I, I did, That's too. not really my kind of movie. Oh. Yeah, I really struggled with that movie, mostly because it is so quiet, and I was just, like, chomping down on popcorn like an asshole for all, like, 900 hours of it. Um, and I I just could not, I could not get on the bandwagon of that movie. But he played uh, the son yeah. in that movie. Wow, crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I so. think he's doing a really nice job, too. And I kept thinking the heavy-handedness to which they attended to the... Jonathan is a sociopath. Yeah. Made me think. And then that immediately being followed up by her going into Henry's room and like looking intently into Henry's face. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever she is in Grace's brain 
is immediately like, oh my gosh, is this hereditary? Is my son also got mm-hmm. this? And that's what you know propelled her to go into the room and look at him. And then she finds the hammer and it's like, oh God, not only is my husband a philanderer and a sociopath, but my son is too. And I wonder if they're gearing up for that, but I'm still not convinced he did it. I, I just think it's too neat. Well, let's let's talk about Katie the kitten for a little minute. Oh my god, like oh. the most disturbing name a child has ever had, um, except for maybe Amabella from from Big Little. Yeah, Amabella. I miss Amabella. her. What a crazy kid. Uh-huh. So we learn that Jonathan didn't actually kill a puppy; he killed his sister, and he actually does seem to show some emotion about this to Grace. Right? Like he has what appears to be a breakdown in the restaurant, and even before we heard from his mother i was thinking like is this a show for the people in the restaurant who might be seeing this because they had that again that shot of everybody down the bar and like somebody turning to look at them and it wasn't like they went outside where it's a little more private they stayed in the restaurant it seemed very public i thought that hugh grant's acting in that was great and at the Mm -hmm. time i was like okay like he he is traumatized this would explain some of his behavior and then later when we learned from the mother that he didn't i'm like oh wow like this guy really is putting on a show and that's what we're getting in court that's what we're getting in front of i almost even wondered if he's putting on a show with Haley when he clips through the pictures of elena and then she comes in and he's like i loved her madly i'm like Uh who are you doing this for like this Haley doesn't give a shit if you loved her or not like this is irrelevant to her yeah and her reaction to that was great like she definitely just told him like i don't give a shit don't bother with your performance your your antics your emotions whatever you're trying here i don't need you to be a good person i just need you to be not guilty um i loved when i loved how she phrased that to him like she's like look we just need you to get out there and do this i don't care about you know how you come across yeah yeah i mean is he just practicing human emotion on people now you know like he's he's doing this like talking about how much he loved her and breaking down and talking about the sister and breaking down to see if he can convince people these are real emotions i think that's what the whole him going on the news program was about too right like Mm -hmm. how many people can he work to gain their sympathy and it makes me think, you know, it comes back to that, like, bitter Dr. Stewart saying that he was a sociopath and he was only mm-hmm. doing this just to, because he could and he wanted the attention. And we kind of brush that off as, like, well, Stewart kind of seems like he's a salty dude. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, well, shit, maybe Stewart really did have some insight there because he worked with this guy all the time and saw his M.O. Well, let, I mean, we're talking about sociopaths, so let's talk about Jonathan's mother who is straight up correcting people's grammar <gasps> over Skype. Like, okay, I so my that. mother does I'm not that. Lie. I live yeah. for that. I'm like, this salty British bitch is just going for Nicole Kidman's jugular. I lived. Yeah, my mom does that all the time. God, so does mine. Uh, it's so annoying. And it's it's so annoying. So, I I mean, I felt like that really helped establish, like for me, I really targeted exactly what kind of woman we were dealing with because I'm like, oh, I know this kind yeah. of woman <laughs> uh, too well. Is it the kind of woman who raises a sociopath, and should we be afraid of you now, Carolyn? (laughs) Probably, yeah, actually. Um, I Also, that actress, speaking of Law & Order SVU, she was in an episode of uh, Law & Order SVU, where she plays this uh, rich older woman whose granddaughter is involved in uh, murdering uh, this another young woman that she was friends with. Are you even allowed to be in a drama if you haven't acted first in Law and Order SVU? Pro- probably not, but certainly not in um, New York. I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, I 
I just, it was so funny because as soon as she popped up on the screen, I was like, oh, I know her and I know exactly what Law and Order SVU episode she's from. <laughs> You're like a um, walking Wikipedia of Law and Order SVU. It's <laughs> awful. I know. It's equal so, parts impressive and sad. It, yes. Mostly sad. <laughs> but um, she, I she is so, her character in this came across so cold, but there are a couple factors that you know, we, we still don't really know because she did make it very clear that Jonathan chose not to be part of the family and that she did seem to want to try to have a relationship with Grace. Mm-hmm. But there was still definitely a coldness there. British. That, that's all hmm? that is. Just British. Right. And that's yeah. what I was wondering. Is it just she's British? Uh, Coming from a family of Brits, I am here to mm-hmm. confirm that that is just how British people behave. And if mm-hmm. a British person were to have a sociopath child, they'd be like, yeah, well, not to be done about it. Just wash our hands and move along. Yeah. Like, yeah. This, my nana was decided that Americans were basically all crybabies after 9-11 because they wouldn't stop talking about it. And she was like, I got bombed on the regular. I don't see what your problem is. <laughs> oh, my god. They gosh. are tough. Tough old birds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so it sounds like everybody's kind of on the fence about Henry. We're, we're, moving it, we're moving in that direction. You know, this episode was really pushing the, the Henry train. And... We we finally see the missing hammer, and it does feel a little bit too obvious. Mm-hmm. But I and in the past when we've had these like um like when we found out Grace was on camera, the first scene of the next episode was being like, oh, but here's why she's not the right, killer, you know. And I don't know if this was just meant as a cliffhanger, but I find it hard to believe that this kid who loves playing violin would not know what was in his violin case right well yes yeah like meaning that jonathan didn't put that there and we also haven't really mentioned that it seems like they're trying to convey that some time has passed because there is now green right in the trees well a trial does take uh a a trial takes a a hot second to get set up and everything right um and if it was late spring order svu though that happens like boom boom Oh yeah, Literally. Literally. <laughs> so if if he knows the hammer is there, but he didn't do it, then we have to assume he's covering for someone. Mm-hmm. He's holding on to the hammer in his violin case because either Jonathan did it, and we did get a lot of exposition in this episode about how devoted Henry is to his dad. I mean, Nicole mm-hmm. Grace says it numerous times. He's obsessed with you. How could you do this to him? Mm-hmm. And we had that scene of him the flashback scene of him witnessing Jonathan with Elena which immediately made me think Jonathan's comment about somebody that was jealous and Henry's defensiveness over the family staying together is positioning Henry as Mm -hmm. a suspect but obviously this end was so explicit hitting pardon the pun hitting the hammer over the head here that he did it I, that makes me think that he's covering for someone and he wasn't actually the one that did it. And maybe that's he's covering for Jonathan because he saw his dad do it. But then I also keep going back to the scene with Miguel Alves where Miguel Alves clearly had some sort of recognition and fear mm-hmm. of Henry. So is that just because Henry was there when he arrived on the scene? Was that? I don't know. Like, that's where I'm getting, like, hung up. So I, mean, I still haven't ruled out Grace and, ha- you know, her doing it and not even though the dna and they she keeps saying she's not a suspect there is something that is oh yeah nagging at me that she is involved and that maybe henry is covering up because he knows she doesn't know necessarily what she did 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of think that we're headed in that direction. If I was going to, you know, wager money on what I think the twist ending, the big ending is. Well, so does anyone remember, like, what, if any, information were given about what Henry's doing the night of the murder? Like, no. We don't no, all we know is that he was home, he was in bed, and he alleges that his father came in and, you know, kissed him goodbye and said he loves him. Yeah, which I thought that whole scene was sketchy to begin with. He, his yeah. like, confidence and his, like, cavalier attitude that night, the first yeah, night Yeah, well, he was sitting there in his bed his playing with Legos. Yeah, it just seemed like he was a little <laughs> too calm, cool, and collected, given that his father mm-hmm. was missing. Mm-hmm. So... I, I would have a really hard time believing that Henry was the one that had, A, the physical strength to bash in this woman's skull. Mm-hmm. But I think he's in, implicated in some way. I mean, at this point, it, it, he wouldn't have the hammer in his filing case, as you said. And I think at first my gut was that he was unsure and someone maybe had planted it. But now that we've talked about it, I'm like, that does not make a lot of sense because he is so obsessed with the violin it was very odd that the violin was on the floor under a bunch of clothes. I mean, they're rich. This is clearly not like a shitty, cheap violin. Probably like I a mean, that's such a kid thing. You know, it's just a, like, so I thought that that scene was actually really well done. Like that, you know, he's he's just a kid. He's like a tween boy. They throw dirty clothes on the floor. Right. They'd throw a $5,000 violin right. down. So that made sense to me. And it, it I, I thought was a... I, I knew, though, as soon as she pulled out the violin case, I was yeah. like, oh, oh yeah. here it is. The minute she went in the closet, I was like, it's somewhere in this closet. This has been the mm-hmm. big thing that everyone, there's no murder weapon. And once you have a murder weapon, then that's something that you can tie it to. But I also feel like Detective Sexy's questioning where uh, Haley Fitzgerald is repeatedly like accusing him of not entertaining other suspects. That's mm-hmm. obviously important. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be necessarily somebody that we think. It could be a Henry I, I don't know. I don't know who else would really, at this point, fall into that category. If Sylvia is the one that did it, I'm going to be annoyed because there's really no grounds or precedent. And they just, like, no. say in the next episode, oh, yeah, it turns out she was the sad fuck and he's her baby daddy and she was the one that was jealous. That's going to be really annoying. But That's going to be a mess. But I also want her to have, a, like, a bigger role than this. I mean, same with uh, Franklin. Like, I cannot believe mm-hmm. that Donald Sutherland took this role if this is the extent of it. If he's literally just going to be, like, this kind of curmudgeonly father figure and didn't have a more active role to play in this. Well, I kind of agree with that. But I, I feel like he's served his purpose and done a good job and um, really added something to the show. Um, but if you're I, Donald I really... Sutherland and you read this script, are you really going to get out of bed to take this role that's just you kind of being this flitting in and out of the scenes... Yeah, what is he, like, 90? He's probably just lucky that he can get out of bed. Like, well, yeah, fair. he's... I'll give you yeah. that, fair. You know, I, I think that... Um, I, I think when you're an actor of... Especially once you reach, like, the caliber of, like, of, of Donald Sutherland, I think you're, you just kind of take a role because you, uh, you like it. Yeah. Even if it's a small role and even if it's a, a, or a silly role or like not something, mm-hmm. I think that he has that luxury. Like right. he can, and That's I think fair. he brought a lot to this. I'll give you that. Um, so I won't feel frustrated if he, if they're, you know, if what he is, is what he is and that he has served his purpose there. Um, I feel like he did it really well. And I think that without him, those scenes between Nicole Kidman and him, the scenes between Grace and her father would have really suffered. Yeah. 
I do think, I think there is going to be, so if I'm making a prediction right now about who did it, I think I'm going to say it's Henry and that the next episode is all about the family actually coming together, even though I think some of them probably already are protecting him. Yeah. Um, because Haley says at some point, like, well, isn't that what rich people do when one of them does something? They, like, yep. close ranks and take yep. care of each uh-huh. other. And while they might have all been willing to throw Jonathan to the wolves, they're not going to do that to Henry, right? And we're going to have to see them wrestle with whether or not they, you know, squeal on their little Leopold and Loeb and, like, <laughs> you know, send him to prison, you know, or... or um, or juvenile or an institution i mean if he is a little baby sociopath like get Mm -hmm. a two for one and send him and jonathan both like jesus (laughs) um yeah so i think that's where i'm putting my money that donald southern donald sutherland will have a bigger role to play in whatever cover-up is to come because at this point it's like jonathan jonathan's i mean He's probably not a big enough psychopath to, like, throw his son under the bus for this, right? Like, he's not going to point the finger at him. No. But he's still trying to get out of this. So th- does he decide to go go to prison for this? Or does he... We also sort of get in the previews for next week the implication that Grace is accusing Jonathan of trying to set up their own son. Yeah. And... I guess the question is, is he a big enough sociopath? Like, well, maybe that's the whole like to do that setting up the stage that he is a sociopath. Mm-hmm. That that's they're trying to lay the groundwork to be like, oh, this dick is so unfeeling that he's gonna put his own son on the chopping block instead of himself. Mm-hmm. When in fact Henry did do this. I don't know. I just I'm gonna be. I was so on board with Henry last episode. I mean, I'm, I'm an unapologetic petitioner of the Jean Bonnet theory (laughs) i just looking at those pictures of her skull bashed in i'm like this kid would have to have super strength and really a strong stomach and a real true sociopathic streak if he could do this like he is a little nothing he's not like a big beefy kid Mm -mm. and she was is he supposed to be i don't know 13 yeah like a kid i mean he's just small and it seems Mm -hmm. like also the camera angle right like someone standing over her so that implies that somebody had to push her down onto the ground first Mm -hmm. and i i just can't imagine a little 12 year old would be able to take down a a taller woman than that like I, i just something is up with that and i just i was so on board with the henry theory and now i'm feeling like the show Again, how the structure of the show has been, too. Like, every episode is setting us up to think it's a different character. And then the next episode, within five minutes, it's like, just kidding. It -hmm. wasn't this character. It was someone else. We've ruled it out that this is Henry's episode. And I'm sure he's involved in some way. But I I just don't think he's the one that could have bashed her skull. And I just don't think physically he could do it. Have either of you started reading the book yet? No, No. I just downloaded it. I'm going to start tonight. So I started reading it, and the book is actually called You Should Have Known. And the idea is that the Grace character has just written a book called You Should Have Known about, like, knowing, like, your spouse having told you everything you need to know very early on in your relationship about who they are and people just choosing to ignore those cues, which makes me think that at least in the book, it absolutely has to be Jonathan. Right. Right. Um, because 
it seems like the idea is that she wrote this book and then she missed all those warning signals early on. Yeah. Um, which also makes me think that because these TV shows love to just throw a curveball in there so that the readers who already <laughs> read the book um, don't get the ending that they expect. Looking at you, big little lies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and um, what's the what's the other one we watched there? That Little we fires all, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that we universally hated. Um, yeah. They really went off the deep end with um, changing <laughs> things in that in that show. So I don't know of how far the show is really going to stray, but um, I think th- I think that based on the like two chapters I've read of the book. I, I think that in that story, Jonathan probably is the culprit. Which could make sense here. We are positioned to have that be a, a possibility still. Mm-hmm. And How would you guys um, feel that, about that? Would you be let down if it ends up being Jonathan? Yeah, it's a little I boring. Just, yeah, I would just feel like, okay, yeah, we, yes. I mean, it would, it would make sense. It would play out probably pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but so one last it, question then: Who would be the character that is responsible that you'd be most satisfied with? I think Henry. Yeah, I think Grace. Yeah, I kind of am back on the Grace train. I just feel like these blackouts and the lack of remembering mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And maybe Henry's covering for her. I mean, that's what that I'm, scene yeah. where he, in mm-hmm. the in the second episode where he comforts her and is kind of fulfilling this paternal role like maybe he's noticed that she sleepwalks maybe he notices that she forgets conversations and she came back that night bloodied and disoriented and he's like oh shit like my dad is having an affair with this woman because let's not forget henry now knew before anything happened jonathan was having this affair all Mm -hmm. he cares about is keeping his family together so maybe it's a reverse jambonet situation where henry is the one that (laughs) is trying to cover up for his mother who is dissociated from all this and blacked it out and he's like, helped. she comes home with a bloody mallet in her yep. hand. He's like, what's up, mom? What, yep. what are you doing? Yep. And he like flies into action. Here's another question I have. The scene at the end is supposed to be taking place in Franklin's house, correct? They're not living back in their apartment. Oh, right. But yeah. the night of the murder, that was back at uh, Jonathan and Grace's house. So are we led to believe that Henry transported this murder weapon from Grace and Jonathan's apartment to Franklin's apartment in the case? Yes. Well, it would explain why it wasn't in the house. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's why the detectives didn't find it. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I don't know how you get a violin and a murder mallet in, the, <laughs> in, in a violin case. Maybe he left the violin at home. I don't I don't remember. Well, I can't remember. Like did he pack up his room? Did he go back we to the house get that and get scene. stuff? We just saw them going through the house and then they were living at Franklin's. And there was that okay. scene where she specifically said, we're going to stay with you for as long as possible. Is that okay? Yeah. And, and Jonathan's mm-hmm. going to live at the house. But I wondered that. I'm like, and also the the closet and all of that seemed very lived in. I'm like, can a kid make that much of a mess? Just yes, yeah, I guess. Yes, so. they can. Okay, I guess team boys um, are gross. And I mean, at this point, it's been months. Yeah, I think yeah. right. We're supposed Fair. to understand it's been long enough for the seasons to change. So, yeah, but that was definitely something that gave me pause. I'm like, this this would have required a transfer if indeed the murder weapon was brought back to the apartment and then they moved over there. And is this Henry really just trying to like do his mama solid because he's worried about her? 
And I keep going back to the stupid opening credits. Like, what is the point of these opening credits unless... I keep trying to skip those credits. I'll tell you what the point of the opening credit is. The point is for Nicole Kidman to get to sing a song. I think that's a nice... I would, I mean, if that is the case, like, I will be very annoyed. But I, HBO, their social media campaign for this has been, like, really irritating. And they keep replying to everyone's comments and things, being like, shh, you never know. But I noticed a comment where somebody had made some remark about uh, the fact that in the opening credits, the little girl was clearly supposed to be a representation of Grace. Mm-hmm. And they made some comment to it being like, pay attention, things aren't always what they seem, like, this is important. So part of me thinks that that's where this is all hearkening back to is that Grace and Jonathan both have these like deep mental illnesses. Jonathan is a sociopath and Grace has got some sort of dissociative issue. Did she like eat her twin in the room or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I just feel like if that is simply to indulge Nicole Kidman, fine. But why is the way it's shot like this dreamy little kid running through the grass inverted images like what is the point of that well i thought the little girl that the little redheaded girl she's talking to or looking at or whatever she's doing in the park right when she passes passes out out, is the girl from the credits yeah but that's supposed to be her it's not just a random kid it's supposed to be grace but is hbo trying to tell us it's not yeah, it, th- those were definitely two different kids because the girl in the park is older than the girl in the credits. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But they clearly had a massive casting for redhead children. But it's the curly redhead ha- red hair. I just feel like it. it, it that's got to be Grace as a kid. If it's, I mean, if it it's just some random like redhead. Is, but maybe, I mean, maybe she had a sister too. Who that knows? could be. Like, I would buy that, I guess. I just, I think that more and more, Henry's involved, but I don't, I don't know if he did it. I think that the Grace argument to me would be the most satisfying at this point, just given the whole, the way it's been filmed, the credits, the Mm -hmm. bad acting on Nicole's part. Maybe it is not bad acting. Maybe she, this is her Mm -hmm. interpretation of somebody that is absolutely like half there and half elsewhere. Yeah, this whole episode to me uh, was... You know, like that moment when you're on a roller coaster and you're like going up. Yeah. That was this episode. And like everything I will decide everything on is uh, coming in the next episode. Like I'll let you know if the ride was worth it or not. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this next episode is either going to make this a really great, fulfilling series or I'm going to feel the same way I did about Little Fires Everywhere at the end where I'm like, garbage, wouldn't recommend it. Like it's going to be one or the other. Yeah. When I was done watching it last night, I. You know, Brian asked me how how it was, and I was like, I feel like every episode should be, like, 10 to 15 minutes shorter. Yeah, agreed. But it feels, but I, but the more I think about that, the more I think, like, if that were actually the case, I think in the end it wouldn't make sense. Like, mm-hmm. all these things that are making me feel like, oh, my God, or what? They keep but saying on the watch HBO account. around again. They keep and, saying on HBO, pay attention, pay attention. That's the thing they keep saying. And I, uh-huh. I feel like that's their little, like, dog whistle, that all of this stuff is important. And Sylvia's role is more than just the friend. Mm-hmm. Donald Sutherland's role is more than just the advice-giving kind of sketchy dad. Like, all of this stuff is going to be wrapped up in some sort of bow, and all of it is worth it. Otherwise, I don't know why they would be waging a campaign on social media that's so aggressively, like, pay attention, look out, not everything is what it seems. Which is what they were. I mean, there are like bizarre, 
little things to ha- to pay attention to, but I don't think that they necessarily have anything to do with anything. But something I noticed in this episode that I need to bring up, mm-hmm. when they are at that lunch, their lovely little family lunch. Which, what are, I cannot believe these people would go out and eat in public. I know! <laughs> they got, like, bombarded by the paparazzi on the street. Like, why would they think they could go into a restaurant? I don't know, but why the fuck is Nicole Kidman ordering, or Grace, ordering, like, a melon and ham yep. salad? Yep. That bothered me, too. <laughs> Especially when they gave them both breadsticks and bread at the table. I'm like, why wouldn't you just eat all the bread? And you're also so skinny. Eat the fucking bread. Well, I think they delivered the bread. Is a thing that exists? No, it was a salad with, like, prosciutto and melon on top. I'm like, bitch. Yeah, it was the meal. weirdest thing. Um, and I think the bread thing was just to kind of give a gag of this waiter keeps coming yeah, over and they have I to, did like, laugh stall their conversation. I was like, is this Faulty Towers? Are we watching? Like- yeah. But her her lunch order was so bizarre to me. Uh, at first I was like, did she just order a fucking melon? And then I saw that it had, like, ham with it. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, my God. No. Um, that is the weirdest. Well, for sure, Alex melon is legit. Dying. But I think that was a very odd I don't know the whole that whole restaurant scene the food aside I was like why are they out to lunch these people are splashed over every news channel and the fact that nobody was like giving them the eye except that when they were having the very public argument about kitty yeah (laughs) Katie the kitty which is such a creepy nickname I hated that yeah I mean can we talk about that a little more like did I think that that's all there is to say about that 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 is just utterly disgustingly creepy well actually now that we're talking about how creepy it is and it struck me as creepy to begin with but i thought it was just like bad writing or something but now the more we talk about it and then in context of the mother i wonder if like this is a weird thing like that jonathan says like he names her katie the kitten in that moment to sort of try and make her like to feel like he more had, like, like an a, animal so he can tie it into the fact that he said it was a dog no 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 like <laughs> to try and make it cutesy to like yeah. make her feel to make it feel like he had more of a relationship more humanized than he really did and and it comes across as weird because a psychopath is coming up with this nickname yeah <laughs> maybe i i don't know i i just felt like that was just some sort of weird I mean he was supposed to be how old like 14 yeah 14 yeah she was four yeah I mean like that means that he would have been like a 10 year old kid when she was born and you know 10 year old kids like give a a baby like a little nickname so maybe I thought it was weird and like almost like a creepy like psychosexual undertone to it that yeah. just made the hair mm-hmm. on the back of my neck stand up the minute he said that. I'm like, ooh, I don't know. And him being alone with her, and then she runs into traffic. I'm like, I don't know. Did she run? Or was yeah. she encouraged? I just... Or was she running from you? Right. I'm yeah. I didn't, I, I, I did not feel in that moment that we were getting the full story, but I did feel like, okay, maybe he's just traumatized. But then when you get this, obviously, this follow-up with the mother who says that he had no such reaction and just sort of, like, business as usual sketchy all of it was sketchy and it definitely gave me pause so nicole is not in a nice shower again in this episode and i i really struggled to come up with any kellyisms for this one did you guys notice any recurring themes other than maybe a courtroom scene yeah i mean the courtroom Mm -hmm. you know we got that in season two of big little lies 
I think the biggest Kellyism for me is just this cycle of uh, perpetrators in doubt, like who's in the hot seat this week, mm-hmm. which we yeah. definitely had with Big Little Lies. Like every week, you, the suspicion is cast on another person. That definitely feels like a Kellyism. Um, what about the richest thing? I mean, I think it might be that disgusting sounding salad, but is there <laughs> anything else stand out to you as especially the three one percent the not one not two but three chandeliers in franklin's mm-hmm. living room i'm like dog do you need this many chandeliers like this is excess Who there's also it? like a fireplace in every yeah. room in grace but and his Jonathan's bedroom like, looks kind of poor i was like yeah really after all of this like ostentatious ornate stuff your bedroom looks like i don't know kind of dingy I mean, the kind of money that can pay for a defense where they use, like, Google algorithms to stalk your jurors <laughs> I did laugh is at that. just yeah. straight up. Like, Here's something. The people need to get their pitchforks and put a stop to this. <laughs> we are not led to believe that the Alvas have a lot of money, given that Jonathan paid for Miguel to go to the school. Mm-hmm. And yet... Fernando on the stand talks about how they have their regular apartment and this whole ass second apartment for Elena's work. I'm like that. Well, the art studio we saw it, and I mean that's what where she's murdered. I mean, it I, looked all it looked less like an apartment. I think he called it an apartment, but like it definitely looks like a store. Still, front. you know what like New York City rents are? Who is affording two separate spaces in New York City on whatever budget they're on? It just that. I I've actually yeah. been wondering that for a while because. Even like you know, it looks like a boarded up barber shop or something weird, mm-hmm. and it is does not look nice by any stretch of the imagination. But like, I'm in any. Can any of you just run out right now and rent a space to work? Like no, no. and we, no. If I could, I would be. I would not be here in my closet doing this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I my God, in my you know. <laughs> my office space that I rented that is equipped for filming and recording. But mm-hmm. um, the, uh, I, I think that maybe it could be explained as uh, like, you know, some sort of shared space. Like she works there at night and during the day it's utilized for another thing. I mean, cause that's not uncommon. Uh, but we also I, get I the sense that she is sleeping there quite regularly, yeah, and obviously she's, she's there boning Jonathan. But like, yeah, it, it gets this. Like Fernando says something like, "Well, she needs her space to do her." What if Jonathan's paying for it, and that's why he needed the money, not for school, that, mm-hmm. but to pay for the apartment, their little like bang shack, and that's how Fernando found out. Yeah. I was thinking that maybe there was a financial tie-in. Because again, um, why did he need half a million dollars from Franklin? Like, it yeah. seems to me like that money clearly didn't go to school because, as we've established, Franklin is paying for the school. I still think it's a plot hole that Franklin even gave him the money ostensibly for school when he knows. Oh, I don't, I don't think it's a plot hole. I think this is one of the things we're supposed to be paying attention to. Yeah. So then what, mm-hmm. how do, why do we unpack that? How, what are, why would Franklin do that? Paying off somebody? Uh, what? Pay the school? Paying El- Elena? Paying Jonathan? Like, why would Franklin give... Half a million dollars to Jonathan in any context. Because he's married to his daughter. And uh, I think that Jonathan came to him and said, like, we're in financial trouble and we need this. And But why wouldn't know. he just say that to Grace then? Why did he have to go into saying it was 
paying for Henry's education. And why wouldn't Grace immediately be like, what the fuck, you're paying for his education? Well, I do wonder if this is another, like, allusion to the fact that Grace doesn't remember anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we can tell Grace he said it was for school, and so I gave it to him because she's not going to remember that he's paying for it. But, um, but Jonathan may have been a little bit more honest with him about or maybe come up with something entirely you know or or maybe jonathan didn't even go to him for the money maybe you know if so if we're following this logic that henry knew that henry maybe told grandpa franklin yep grandpa franklin then confronts jonathan who is like well then i need money to pay her off yeah you know however that could have unfolded like and we're just going to tell Grace, or Grace isn't smart enough to put it together, and we're just going to tell her that it was for school, even though, because, I mean, there are se- there would have to be several bad writing slash plot holes there, because it's not just that we already know he pays for, pays for Reardon, but we know exactly how much it costs. It costs 50K yeah. a year, so four years of that school, even... Even six years of that school, if it's middle school too, which it seems to be, is not five hundred thousand dollars. It's like two to three hundred at most. So those figures don't even add up, and she never questions it. Yeah. So something's going. Yeah, I'm back to grace. I think it's important. I, I think that all of this is making me feel like everyone, whether it's Franklin, Jonathan, and Henry, or just Franklin and Henry, or just Henry and. Jonathan, some combination, they're working together to make sure that Grace doesn't figure out her extent of her involvement in this. Mm-hmm. So on that note, what's the best outfit in this episode? <laughs> oh, it has to be the, like, periwinkle pussy bow blouse mm-hmm. she wears at that weird lunch. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the only thing I noticed, except that she now has a springtime coat. Yeah. That I think is quite ugly, actually. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. And I like that she yeah, was wearing it's... white, which or cream, mm-hmm. in this case, you're always supposed to do when you're trying to be sympathetic to a jury, like, oh, the woman's in white, she's just a virginal, mm-hmm. angelic figure. So I did like that. I liked, mm-hmm. oh, you know what I wanted to briefly mention? I really liked the first shot of them going through the medical detector and having to face each other. And then the second mm-hmm. one where Jonathan had to face Fernando, my eyes hit the roof. I'm like, David, yeah. Yeah. come on, my guy. We could have had one or the other of this, but we didn't need two. No. It- I don't know. I kind of found it effective that, you know, every time they're entering the courthouse, it's like, what are they facing now? Like, who are they facing? Yeah. yeah I I kind of, like, wondered about the reality of that. I, f- I feel like, I don't know, don't defendants' families get to, like, enter a different way yeah. or, or something? And don't they do make any effort to separate? Um, Not necessarily. Um, it, it, I think it depends, but... I think I you're mean, making he's out. Up. You don't know. No, I mean, he's <laughs> out on bail, so... You're not telling unless... something of you... <laughs> been involved in a trial no i mean i'm just saying like i think i watch a lot of law and order and i think like if you're out on bail unless you request certain protection or you feel or the other person requests it i think it's just kind of it is sort of just a free-for-all of entering like when you watch the when you watch about like a trial that's happening on the news and they show footage like they're always coming in and out the you know the main door there is sort of that press walk of shame and chaos I mean, but even if that's the so, case like did we really need two separate shots and to Teresa's point earlier I think that there is 
filling going on in each episode mm-hmm. where they could have mm-hmm. cut it out. And this episode ran a little over even. I think it was a little over an hour. I'm like, we did mm-hmm. not need two scenes yeah. of this. We really didn't. We didn't need the scene of Sylvia and Grace on the phone hammering home that Jonathan is a sociopath TM. Like, it just all seems like they're maybe running out of material and we're trying to, like, wring every ounce this, of water This whole episode, like I said, this was the stretch episode for me. Yeah. There was a lot of filler. It was it was just a Law & Order episode stuck in the middle here that I, I really... I need this last episode to do something. Yeah, I want my head to uh, explode. I want to because I'm in a I'm in a I was in a frustrating place following this last the the last night's show this episode five. I also thought the Fernando the Fernando confrontation at the metal detector was a little weird because we had that episode we had that you know part where he shows up at his apartment and they have a whole long talk whole ass talk about the fact that this baby they're passing around is one guy's baby and not the other like the idea that just looking at each other through this um metal detector is supposed to be so dramatic when they've already like had yeah. his own time in an mm-hmm. apartment maybe it's that, that they now fernando is being like accused by Haley fitzgerald and fernando's like what the fuck maybe. man like you know i didn't mm-hmm. do this i don't mm-hmm. know yeah, I thought that he did a really lovely job, the actor that plays Fernando in this episode. I think that that mm-hmm. intensity and the stress and the heartbreak were all really nicely conveyed. I think he's a really. I'd be interested to see what he does after this. I agree. I, really I, I want to see. Actor. I want to see more from him. I want more from Detective Sexy. Uh, I want more from the actress playing Haley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I really. Um, I am intrigued by all of them as actors. Um, yeah, just like Little Fires oh, Everywhere, it feels like our supporting cast is doing better work. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. Lily Rabe is doing better work than... Yeah, uh, I was just about to say... I would almost like she's... to see their roles switched. Like, I would have liked to see what she did with Grace. I think she's a really wonderful actress, and she's bringing yeah. so much to so little. I mean, this role, you can count on one hand how much time she's had on screen and yet she's really sticking with us she's been a central point of our consideration even though she at this point is just grace's friend yeah for sure she really um she's the another one that is like a real standout in this uh and i think she is sort of that character is underwritten yeah unless it's not um, you know and i i'm i'm holding on to hope that, that she's something. more involved in this than I, I have a feeling no, but um, I am hoping that we do see a lot more of her as, as, as an actress. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think that she has a lot, a lot in her. She reminds me of like a young Meryl Streep somehow. Mm. She's <laughs> been a Ryan Murphy darling for years. and on, I know. And I think she's been great on American Horror Story. Like that show is I want I want her to get out of that yeah. world and branch out beyond Ryan Murphy. I think she's very talented. Uh, all right, so on that note, uh, who's got recommendations this week? Rebecca, you want to start? Sure. Um, so I will start with my lowbrow this week. I watched this movie when it first came out, and I really liked it, and it just came back out on Netflix, and Stephen and I rewatched it, and we're just cackling the entire time. And that is Easy A. It is, oh, that's such a good movie. It's that's such a surprisingly so great movie. Good. Mm-hmm. I mean, the chemistry between Patricia Clarkson and Stanley Tucci is just mm-hmm. off the wall. It is a bonkers movie. It is silly. It is heartfelt. 
Emma Wa- Emma Watson, Jesus. Emma Stone is perfect in it. It's just like great. Amanda Bynes in her last role before she lost her mind. I mean, <laughs> it's just got everything. The soundtrack's great. Uh, the actress that plays Phoebe on Friends is in it. It's just really, really funny. And yeah, Lisa Kudrow Lisa is Kudrow, brilliant in everything she does. Yep. Uh, she's really, she's just one of my favorite comic actresses, and I think she's super underrated. Well, this movie has it all. I'm a big fan. I was. Steven had never seen it, so I was like, all right, let's just watch it, and I was kind of half paying attention, and then 10 minutes in, I was like, oh my god, I forgot how good this is. Pocket full of sunshine, I mean, it's all just wonderful, so 10 out of 10 on Netflix right now, easy A. Also on Netflix and another movie, this is my highbrow, oh my goodness, run, don't walk, if you have not watched The Trial of the Chicago 7 yet on Netflix, Mm. it is so good. If there's any justice in the world, it will win Best Picture this year. I just cannot stress enough how well written, how well acted this movie is. It's got all my faves, Sasha Baron Cohen, Kendall Roy from Succession, Eddie Redmayne. It is so, so moving. I laughed. I cried profusely. It is just absolutely fantastic. I cannot believe I didn't learn about this in high school. I feel very disappointed in my education that I didn't know anything about the protests that happened, nor this trial. I mean, I just really, I don't have the words for it other than, like, please, please go watch this film. It is fantastic. I actually, so two things. I have one question for you. Like, um, before, I haven't watched it yet, and I listened to an episode of a podcast called The Dollop. Actually, it was a series that was sort of covering the same stuff, but it was specifically about Abby Hoffman. Because they felt like the movie really did Abby Hoffman... um, an injustice but it seems like you came out really liking him oh my gosh i came out and i just spent three hours last night googling abby hoffman when Mm -hmm. i didn't know that abby hoffman had committed suicide and i Mm -hmm. gasped in the end credits when it said that i thought sasha baron cohen did an excellent job with the role Mm -hmm. out of all of the characters and i didn't know the names of anyone um except bobby seal uh i had no idea who abby hoffman was and Mm -hmm. it, it spurred me to go on a massive google search of him yeah. and I want to order his book steal this book I mean I just well so on that note probably like early 2000s late 90s a movie came out called steal this movie and it is um it's a biopic of Abby Hoffman oh. starring um Vincent D'Onofrio oh as I Abby. love him and Janine Garofalo as I think his oh. wife yeah and I'm sure I used it used to be on cable a lot, and I used to watch it all the time because I was just obsessed with the Abby story and everything about it. And so um, I would also like if you just want more about Abby, I would dive into that. Oh, I mean, I absolutely feel like Abby Hoffman was one of the most compelling figures in it, and I mean, I just I really thought it was start to finish absolutely excellent. I would love to know what you two think about it. I mean, I really was just floored mm-hmm. by the whole thing. And I, again, had no huh. pre-existing knowledge of any of this, which I feel very disheartened in my expensive private school education that I did not learn about any of this <laughs> stuff. But I'm learning now. Um, so, Carolyn, what are your birthday recommendations? All right. Well, so we've been uh, referring to John Benet Ramsey a lot, and um, on Netflix there is a documentary called "Casting John Benet." Oh God, it's so weird. Um, I haven't watched it yet. So weird. It is amazing. So it is not a true crime documentary. It is 
um, actually a documentary about hiring actors to play the reenactors for a for a documentary about John Binet. Um, if that sounds confusing, just watch it and accept it. Um, it is so fascinating and weird and wonderful and horrid and it's really you know and they're casting like a creepy santa so it's really a holiday Mm -hmm. movie so you can get that into your into your holiday season spirit um so i recommend that and uh then i also uh want to recommend i don't know which is like these are all kind it's both kind of like highbrow i mean lowbrow this week last week i feel like i was a little bit more highbrow so i can do what you want yeah Mm -hmm. Damn straight. Um, so Animaniacs has returned on Hulu. Uh-huh. I and almost went insane because of how many commercials I saw for it and it had to like burn the TV down, but I was excited for it. It is so good. Uh, so definitely if you were a fan of the original Animaniacs, which means that you're a millennial, um, just jump in on this and it is so well written really clever great references uh pinky and the brain are back um and it's so that's great so um so that uh for sure (laughs) those are those are my recommendations this week uh some nice fluff to fill your fill your time with i live (laughs) so i think my highbrow recommendation um, this week is Trial 4 on Netflix. There's a lot of trials and yeah. numbers, apparently. On Damn. Netflix. <laughs> um, but this is a multi-part documentary about the wrongful conviction of a young black man in Boston for the murder of a cop. And it's got all sorts of police corruption. But it also has a just delight of a human being named Rosemary Scapiccio, who is the badass defense attorney who takes on his appeal cases. And um, she is everyone's hero. She's like a real-life Haley Fitzgerald, only she's got a Boston accent and bleach blonde hair and just, like, is out to get... Instead of, like, helping rich white guys get off, she's out to, like, just take down the police. She is so great. I love her so much. I love it. I can't say Uh enough good things about her. Um, and so my lowbrow this week, I, I'm going, it's the podcast itself is not lowbrow. It's called you're wrong about, and they kind of go over topics that they think people have misconceptions about that. Like everybody thinks they know the story and they don't. Um, and so I'm trying to think of some of the examples like they do one about human trafficking and they do one about um just murder in general like everyone thinks they're going to be killed by a serial killer but really like if you're killed by someone you don't already know it's actually more likely that that person is a police officer oh what oh whoa classic america yeah Yeah, it's crazy and (laughs) But so their most recent episode is actually about the Newsboy strike of 1899. And it sounds like it's actually going to be a two-part series because I listened to the first episode today. And, I mean, if you were a fan of the Newsies in the 90s, which, again, if you're a millennial, you probably were. Like, anything you can't anything you can get your hands on about the history of like this strike is just so fascinating because there's also a dollop episode about it, which I've already mentioned. Um 
And, like, these little boys were actually so violent in defense of their workers' <laughs> rights. Of They were... Incre- they were like terrorizing not just other newsboys but like adults they were really <laughs> using violence to um you know to sub they're basically trying to unionize and it's very pro-worker what they're doing and one of the interesting points that they make is like you know that violence is not the answer but you can sort of come to understand how people push to their limits resort to violence in this way and which is just like such a um interesting topic for the moment we're currently living in in which you know every time there's a protest the the sort of right-wing media wants to turn it into something violent and even when there is violence involved they make no attempt to help you understand how it gets to that point. And I think this newsboy strike is just such a really interesting kind of silly, almost silly way to get to that topic. If that makes any sense. Like it seems so inconsequential, but it was hugely important and at the same time, really funny. Oh, fantastic. Mm. I know what I'll be listening to. Oh, and Mm. I just want to make a quick uh, uh, support endorsement carolyn endorsed the uh murder at middle beach last week Mm -hmm. and i watched it this week and i think Teresa did too and it was really good i was really oh it's spectacular so good endorsement carolyn i mean oh you're welcome hbo max is just going down a like true crime rabbit hole right now like they are just and i am here for it they are like well we know what the people want and we're gonna give it to them it's murder also i have a super (laughs) crush on madison the filmmaker same get in line sister yeah it's your birthday so you can be (laughs) first today yeah i get to crush on him today alex also has a super crush on madison (laughs) if you're out there we love you come on our podcast i mean i feel like you can like at him on uh instagram right like he's got it yeah he does have a girlfriend apparently she's in the documentary she um Uh she was in this this past week's episode so good for her um but i also kind of want to do a whole uh investigation into these gifting tables that they talk about oh oh god Uh, the mlm yeah has it oh my goodness has anyone listened to i think it's called the dream podcast no Mm-mm. it's basically just like a deep dive into mlms and these pyramids oh my goodness i'm fascinated so fascinating i watched some wow. netflix documentary about the essential oil scam oh yeah over the oh, summer e- and yeah like, man people in this country love an mlm like we just yeah somehow this being these like connecticut ladies and it just it's really good so, my yeah, step you... person got deeply involved in LuLaRoe, and it was a whole oh. thing Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, my I have one pair of those pants that someone gave they're me. They're garbage. They're, yeah, they are falling apart. I have like fifty but, pairs of them because she gave me all of her like extra inventory, and they're literally like wear them twice, throw them away. They're disposable pants. It's terrible. Mine have dodos all over them, and I yep. like to wear them to bed. What? Yep. And That's... um, so I'm kind of upset that they're dying now on me. And Brian asked me, he's like, well, can you just go get some more? I'm like, I don't think so. I think the company has no. been, like, you know, raided by the FBI Indicted. Or <laughs> I cut all mine into, like, 
thotty biker shorts because those were all the rage for a hot minute and now mm. I regret it. <laughs> now that the winter's here, I'm like, God damn it, why did I do that? I'm cold. <laughs> oh god. Just turn up your heat. I'm, I'm a poor millennial. We've established this. I don't do that. I know. I just put on Lula Row leggings by the pair. And <laughs> hope for the best. <laughs> Okay, well, on that note, happy birthday, Carolyn. We'll see the rest of you Thank next you. week. Thank you. Yes. All right. Bye, guys. listening to Big Little Podcast. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming one of our valued podcast supporters at www.thebiglittlepodcast.com or just leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Can't get enough of us? Follow us on social media at Big Little Podcast for exclusive content in between new episodes.